This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com. You are listening to the Prospect Podcast. It is Wednesday, October 2nd. Starting today, like I always do at the quarterback position, but I'm going to go a little more general today than just zeroing in on the top two quarterback prospects, Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert. I noticed something, and it's kind of been boiling over the past couple weeks and maybe even the past couple years. I think we are getting to the point, and we may already be there, that statistics for quarterback prospects are almost irrelevant. And I'm not, and I don't think a lot of people are box score scouting anymore, but production matters. And even though we've seen more statistics that go a little deeper than the traditional numbers over the past couple seasons, and that's great and is very useful. In general, I think when you look at what is happening and what has happened at the college football level, to point to a quarterback's completion percentage, and we've kind of already moved past that, that we realize that there's so many bubble screens and swing passes and little tap passes on jet sweeps, that completion percentage is not even close to being the be-all, end-all of a quarterback's accuracy. But you look at even touchdown-to-interception ratio for a lot of these quarterbacks, and to me, the most striking indicator that stats are becoming or are already irrelevant when we're projecting these quarterbacks forward into the NFL is in the yards-per-attempt category. That that, at the NFL level, is a great single indicator of how well a quarterback played in a specific game or has played throughout an entire season. In a game, you want your quarterback to be anywhere between 7 and 8. If they're above 8, they had probably a really good performance. If they're below 7, if they're below 6, they probably had some problems. Or the receivers dropped a lot of passes. College football level, obviously, you can boost those numbers up a little bit to get a good range. But we saw two of the top yards per attempt seasons in college football history from Baker Mayfield. Tua Tagovailoa set a passing efficiency record last year. 
And take a guess where Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma is in terms of yards per attempt going into this weekend. 15.2 yards per attempt. Tua and Baker were between 10 and 12, and that was seen as astronomical at the time. And that was just last year and, and over the past couple seasons. I think quarterbacks are well-schooled, much they have just much more experience by the time they even get to the college football level because of these quarterback coaches that are popping up all across the country, the elite 11 camps. I think the proliferation of the air raid offense and just so much creativity with the run pass option on that side of the ball has really helped and really strained defenses that just the general philosophy of let's spread everything out and use the entire width of the field to not only give our playmakers space, but make it a lot more difficult to tackle and a lot more ground for these defenses to cover. That is what's also, I think, helping this offensive boom at the college level, and we're seeing it in the NFL too. And there's just an abundance of really talented wide receivers that a lot of these guys that would have played cornerback, would have played running back, are now playing wide receiver, that every team has two or three very, very talented wide receivers, it seems like, when you watch on Saturdays. Tua Tagovailoa is over 11.6, or he's at 11.6 yards per attempt at a little over 76 completion percentage. Justin Herbert hasn't thrown any interceptions yet. He's over 70% completion, high yards per attempt, and he's probably the, the least air raid type offense or, you know, over the past couple weeks after that Auburn game, his offensive coordinator has let him stretch the field a lot more than Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts have. And he's thrown to a lot more wide receivers who are not completely wide open because from the misdirection and the motion, the defense doesn't know where wide receivers are. Like, And that's been the case for Alabama and for Oklahoma. And that's another reason why I'm interested in Joe Burrow. I mean, he was beat out by multiple quarterbacks. Hasn't really been an NFL-type prospect until his final season. But what he's doing, I mean, yes, he's running an offense that might have some resemblance to what the Saints do, but it's is not he's throwing to wide-open wide receivers. So I, I think that's part of the reason why Joe Burrow's interests me. But in terms of pointing to look at how efficient – Tua Tagovailoa was, or look at how efficient Jalen Hurts is. He's going to set records. We really need to not factor that in very much at all when it comes to comparing them to quarterbacks in the past or even comparing each other. I mean, who has watched Jalen Hurts and sees 15.2 yards per attempt and thinks he's that much better of a passer than Tua Tagovailoa, who's just under 12? I mean, seeing those double digits in the yards per attempt category is ridiculous. I mean, it is early October. We've only seen these players play against mostly lesser competition in September. Justin Herbert gets a really good Cal secondary at home this weekend. And Tua Tagovailoa has to go on the road to Texas A&M. They're ranked. They lost a lot of defensive talent the past couple seasons. But that will be a good test for him and certainly the stiffest test that he's had thus far. And certainly as he gets through the SEC schedule, he's got the game against LSU. He'll almost assuredly have the SEC title game, potentially against Georgia, that will really test 
how efficient, how accurate, how polished of a passer he is. But seeing what I've witnessed so far has made me think, man, should we really even... I mean, it's easy to point to a statistic and write a statistic to talk about it in a podcast, but I really think we need to keep context in mind when we're projecting these quarterbacks forward and saying, wow, look at how efficient he is and saying, look, all these quarterbacks in the past who were above, say, nine yards per attempt, they ended up being really good quarterbacks. I don't think we can do that with some of these signal callers, not just this year, but this year, next year, the year after that, until we see some semblance of defenses catching up at the college football level, the even touchdown to interception ratio, yards per attempt, completion percentage, I don't think we can point to those as big reasons why a quarterback should go in the first round, be the first overall pick. And that's what's great that, like I mentioned earlier, that we have seen more advanced statistics become mainstream that Pro Football Reference even has for the NFL. I haven't checked if they have it for college yet. I probably should. They have advanced passing, advanced receiving, advanced rushing. They show air yards. They show yards after the catch. That's really important, that we need to put more context, more perspective behind these quarterbacks' numbers because it's not just about yards. It's not just about completion percentage. And it's really not just about yards after the catch because it is a lot of what I've seen is not just based on how good a quarterback is as a passer. There's a lot more that has gone into it. Jumping over to big board watch, I'm going to talk about uh, an edge rusher from Notre Dame, Julian Aquara. I have a big board coming out on Thursday. Started to really dig into some of these top prospects over the past couple days. I'm going to have a top 32 on CBSSports.com tomorrow on Thursday, October 3rd. Aquara really stood out to me. When I was watching these edge rushers over the past couple days, watching them a little bit deeper than I have over the first month of the season, he had three sacks against Virginia. I've seen a really long and smooth athlete. He kind of has that profile of a 3-4 outside linebacker. Plays close to the line, though, a fair amount. And he's really powerful. You see him, he's around 6'3", 6'4", 240, maybe 245. You're not expecting him, and you see his movements, that they're not jagged, they're not stiff. You think that he's going to win with his speed, maybe with his hands. He can push back left tackles. I thought he had a very strong game. Didn't take over the game against Georgia, but really showed against Andrew Thomas and their right tackle. He moves around a lot. That... He wasn't overwhelmed in the strength department. I think that's really important, especially, like I said, for an edge rusher that's not 260, 270. Julian Aquara kind of reminds me of TJ Watt to a certain degree. I didn't love him as a prospect, but he did go in the first round. He's been a pretty quality player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Julian Aquara might be even a little bit more refined with his hands and, and is a little stronger. TJ Watt tested through the roof at the combine, and I think Aquara could be in that range. So I think right now projecting him in the first round is a pretty safe projection. The three sacks against Virginia were impressive in the win over the weekend for Notre Dame. And they obviously, because it's Notre Dame, that team will have a lot of uh, a lot more high-profile contests throughout the season. They're probably going to be in the thick of things when it comes to getting into the college football playoff. So Julian Aquara is my biggest riser 
um, based on what I've watched from him. And he'll be, he'll be in my top 32. That's a little sneak peek there. I don't think there's too many players, especially at the edge rusher position, that are better than Julian Aquara from Notre Dame. Let's go to wide receiver watch. Instead of just talking about these Alabama wide receivers, which is seemingly what I've been doing every week, or Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State that's just repeatedly makes big plays down the field, awesome yards after the catch, very efficient. I want to talk about K.J. Hamler from Penn State. He's a redshirt sophomore, so you might think, hey, he's probably not going to declare for the draft. I think he could. He averaged 18 yards as a freshman, as a redshirt freshman last year for Penn State. He's, he's averaging over 22 yards per uh, catch this year. Did you watch that Penn State-Maryland game on Friday? It was really the biggest or the best matchup on that Friday night. He had a 58-yard touchdown, caught it over the middle, shook off a defender who was hanging on him, made a defender miss, burned down the sideline, made that defender miss, and then accelerated into the end zone. He's about 5'10", 175, 180 pounds, but he is electric with the ball in his hands. He's made big play after big play thus far for Penn State. They'll play in some bigger games, obviously, in the Big Ten from October until January or until November, and then most likely be in a pretty big bowl game. K.J. Hamler, to me, someone that we might see come out early and go a little bit earlier than we expect because he wasn't really on the radar as of coming into the season as a redshirt sophomore, but he looks, he just has that athleticism, those yards after the catch skills that make me think he could declare early and go maybe in the top 100, maybe in the top 75, maybe even top 50 if he continues this and then has a big combine. On the other end of the spectrum in terms of wide receiver size, Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty has really impressed me and just looks the part of one of those small school wide receivers who dominates his level of competition. When they play up the few games against tougher competition, he does not disappear. He averaged almost 15 yards per catch at over 1,000 yards last season, over 70 catches. He's upwards of 23 yards per catch with five touchdowns. This season, he had six for 144 over the weekend against New Mexico. He has four games with over 100 yards receiving. He's 6'4", 220 pounds from Georgia. He's a big body that can beat press at the line, and that's really important. A lot of these bigger wide receivers can dominate in those contested catch situations, which he can, but are kind of stiff getting off the line, don't really know how to use that physicality to their advantage. He can. He's obviously not going to make you miss laterally in space, but he does have some cutting skills. He's very fast linearly, so I think that helps him get down the field. And his ball skills, he can catch away from his body frame. He can catch above his head. He's a hands catcher. You're not worried about him letting the football get into his chest. So Antonio Gandy-Golden, he was kind of on the draft radar coming into the year after that big season at Liberty. The last segment I want to get to today, like I do every week, young players at the NFL level. Talked about quarterbacks a bunch, which that's kind of been a big storyline the first quarter of the season. 12 first- or second-year quarterbacks have played 
significant snaps for their respective teams. That's kind of unprecedented. And quarterbacks that were either picked in 2018 or 2019 or undrafted, like a Kyle Allen, we're up to 12 of those. I do an article that I evaluate all of them every week, every throw that they make. And I've gotten to the point now going into week five that I give cumulative season grades. And a quick note that I want to bring up, Gardner Minshew is my second highest graded quarterback of the 12 who have played thus far. Lamar Jackson is at a B going into week five, and Gardner Minshew is right behind him at B-. minus. I've been really impressed with his ability to elude rushers inside the pocket. I mean, he was a magician in Denver against Bradley Chubb, against Von Miller and that defensive front, creating plays after making three and four defenders miss inside the pocket. Is that sustainable with him? Probably not because he's not the greatest athlete. But he's done it so far. And in each game from Gardner Minshew thus far, starting all the way back in week one, yes, he's worked the short portions of the field well. And we expected that coming from Washington State. Two or three throws each game at the intermediate level and even down the field, right on the money with anticipation, back shoulder throws, accurate passes with great ball placement at the intermediate level. So to be able to be surgical, the short portions of the field and hit those two or three handful of throws, 15, 20, 25, 30 yards down the field. That's why we've seen him play so well. Moving to another position, because I don't want to just talk about quarterbacks. I want to jump to the running back spot. Nick Chubb is averaging 5.2 yards per attempt or per carry. He was the reason that the Browns really put it on the Ravens in Baltimore in week four. He had 165 yards rushing, 8.2 yards per attempt. When they're giving him the football, that Cleveland Browns offense can be very good. I think we thought about Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, who's obviously injured now, as, oh, this is going to be a uh, RPO, pass-heavy team. And we kind of forgot about how talented Nick Chubb is, that if Saquon Barkley wasn't in his draft class, we would have been talking about him, Nick Chubb, the performance that he put on in Indianapolis at that combine at a heavyweight, ran in the four fives, Jumped really high, had a great broad jump. Just a superb athlete for the running back spot and just in general, pound for pound at the NFL level. Nick Chubb is kind of the heartbeat of this offense. You think that it's got to be a quarterback today. It's got to be a wide receiver when you have Odell Beckham on your team. But I really think that when they're giving him the football and he's producing behind a below average offensive line, that's when the team can win games in Cleveland. He was my number... Four running back in the 2018 class. Behind Saquon Barkley, of course. Darius Geis, you got to feel for him after how many injuries he's suffered in not even two full years with the Redskins. My third running back, just ahead of Nick Chubb, I'm kind of laughing because it was Ronald Jones. And his rookie season was a disaster. That watching his film, a lot of people thought, this guy doesn't even belong in the NFL. If he got cut, no one would sign him. He's quietly averaging 4.7 yards per carry on a 2-2 two two Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that's right in the thick of things in the NFC. They scored 55 points, really nice win in Los Angeles against the Rams. And he started to look like the Ronald Jones that I saw at USC. Very elusive. His jump cut skills, his spin move is very tight can really burst off the line, and at the second level, he can hit some of those longer plays. 
His long speed is good. 4.7 yards per attempt for Ronald Jones. Certainly not being in the conver- or he's not in the conversation for being one of the top running backs in the league, even at that yards per attempt av- or yards per carry average. But we're talking about a very young and a very talented running back who can be a nice complement to Mike Evans, to Chris Godwin, Jameis Winston, the rest of that passing game with Bruce Arians calling the shots. We obviously are going to think about it in terms of the passing game. But Bruce Arians was in Arizona with David Johnson when he really broke out. So I think we can't forget about Ronald Jones even after a bad rookie year. All right, that'll do it. This was episode five of the Prospect Podcast. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, comment, share, like, all those things you can do on social media today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening.